Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Alrighty, we are back and I have Millie. I don't even know your surname, Millie. Penrose. Penrose, how <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um, I've got Millie Penrose and I'm going to set the scene as to why I've invited Mill to have a chat. Um, essentially, maybe about a month ago, five weeks, can't remember now, a while back we were playing tennis and I didn't listen to my body and I passed out mid-match. And so for about an hour, I lay on the hard tennis court whilst the early match was happening alongside us. And you, Mill, like left a lasting impression. You got everyone around. You all sat with me whilst I was sort of semi-passed out on the on the court. And you were just fascinating. And since that day, I've well, I asked you on the day, but since then we've decided to get you on the podcast just because I barely know anything about you, but I'm really excited to kind of get to know more and share that with people today in a nutshell you are I'll let you explain actually I'll say and then you tell me if I've missed anything out in a nutshell you're a lawyer or a trainer lawyer um uh, in family law which is a very tricky part of law you have five brothers and that's about as far as I can remember but in terms of just a character and a beautiful personality you kind of like ooze vibrancy and I will pass the mic over to you. Can you explain yourself in a nutshell? Okay, well, thank you for that introduction, Liv. Um, in a nutshell, yeah, so I'm 23, um, grew up in Perth. I'm graduating with a degree of law and behavioural science in three months, so I'm at the very pointy end of that. Um, I've got five brothers, <laughs> as you mentioned, and, yeah, I play tennis, um, pretty much just a normal uni student. I wouldn't really mm, say. Would we say? I don't know. I feel like you've got a bit more kind of gusto and, oh, and passion thank you. for life. And thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. But yeah, so yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Mm. So we haven't directly planned what we're going to talk about and I deliberately want it to be quite loose because I want to just see where this conversation takes us. When I was passed out on the court, we spoke for probably over an hour mm. and we spoke about family law, which was really interesting. We spoke about a little bit about the fact that you are one of six children, which mm. is quite unusual, let's say, let's face it. Um, and then we just spoke about loads of other things. So where would you like to start? What sort of is your conversation of choice to begin with? Well, we can talk about the five brothers aspect. Yes. I think that's yes. always what most people are interested to hear, like straight off the bat. Um, so where are you in the order of things? So I'm number one. I'm number oh, one. Yeah. Okay. And so it goes me and then a set of twins, Jack and Harry, a single Sam, and then another set of twins, Bill and Tom. Yeah. And... Um, I think most people, their automatic assumption is that we come from some Catholic family. I think I asked you that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, just my parents have some unhinged desire to procreate. And yeah. so. And have you asked your parents? Have they always sort of said I mean, why they had so many kids? I mean, you don't choose twins, but yes. you choose to go again. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, um, it's an interesting choice, I will say. But no, I love, I love coming from a big family. And I have, obviously, we've asked our parents and they all just say oh we just love children the more the merrier but they've obviously taken that to the absolute extreme yeah but I feel like the personality of my parents they don't just apply that in terms of children like they apply that in terms of we've got they live in a house in Wembley and we've got two dogs two cats 
12 chickens, eight budgies. We've had piglets. We've had lambs. We've had crazy crabs. Like, it's just our whole house oh is just like a life. zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, More and, life than Maria. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, like every Christmas we'll have ring-ins that I don't know because Dad's met someone at work who doesn't have family in Australia and then we've got randoms over all the time. Okay, making a mental note because I'm yeah. an orphan. So oh, well, I'll be knocking on your door yeah. if I You're Come definitely, definitely would be welcome with open arms. But, yeah, my family, um, just very interesting characters, my parents. And I think they sort of feed, like they egg each other on. Mm-hmm. Like mum will see an ad in the paper being like, oh, look, there's a rescue dog that needs rescuing. Dad goes, oh. I reckon Lilo would like that dog, don't you think? And then he goes, oh, it would be great for Tom to have another dog. And Mum goes, yeah, I reckon. So then, like, next thing you know, we've got another dog. And yeah. it's like, do we really need that other animal, like, oh, wow. to look after? But, um, yeah, so. But, yeah, so I've got five brothers, as I mentioned. Um, it was planned. Mum actually tried to give me another sister. Um, and she told me she was pregnant and I still remember the day that I found out I was going to have five brothers. She told us in the morning, she said, kids, we're going to go off to the, what's it called? The obstetrician or something. Yes. Yep. And we're going to find out today if you're having a brother or a sister. And obviously I was desperate for a sister because I already had three brothers. So I was like, oh, at school all day, like, I'm pretty sure I've got a feeling it's going to be a girl. I've got a feeling it's going to be a girl. I'd like told all my friends, like, I'm finding out if I have a little sister today, you know. And I just sort of had it in my mind that it had to be a girl because there was already three boys. Like, it just made sense. Anyways, mum picked us up from school and she was like, guys, I found out what we're having. And we were like, oh, what is it? Is it a boy or is it a girl? And she was like, neither. And we were like, looked at each other. I looked at my brothers. I'm like, what does she mean? She was like, it's two boys. And I just remember in that moment, like, I just, I think it like hit me. I just knew that it was what I had in store. I mean, I didn't know what I had in store, but I remember being absolutely devastated and so annoyed at mum. I was like, how yeah, did like you it's do a choice. this? Yeah. Like, how did you do this to me? I know. Oh, wow. But, um, so yeah. And then obviously the twins came along and another factor to the already chaotic element of having six kids is that my youngest brother, beautiful Tommy is disabled as well. Yeah. So yeah, he's got autism and an intellectual disability. So he's almost 16 he'll be 16 in may and he's like mentally around about two and a half three right so yeah gosh so just the quick math then math is not my strongest subject at school but your mum had those six kids yeah. or six in six years in, in eight years yeah. eight years okay oh my math is terrible sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all right but in quick succession yeah yeah she was just perpetually pregnant for pretty much my whole childhood so I mean I guess as a, as a child you don't really have any comprehension of what it will be like and mm. I have twin sisters and mm. people are like oh my god what's it like having twins it's like well I don't know because that's all I know mm. and I don't know any different I can't assume yeah. how it would be any different but how has having five brothers matched up with maybe early expectations of what you think it might be like or just in reality what's it like what's on it a like? day-to-day um, well, I'm out of home now. Um, I moved out of home. Well, I first moved out, of, moved out of home when I was 17 and I took a gap year and then I came back briefly, but I was sort of living at my boyfriend's house at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back home for a bit and then I moved out um, at 21. So my, um, in terms of what it's like living with five brothers, I can speak on that, but I would have been, you know, 17 and below. But it was just carnage, like as you can imagine. Yes. <laughs> like it was, but in the best way possible it was very um noisy noisy energetic energetic, chaotic lots of speaking over the top of each other like lots of 
not like bickering in a way, but in a in a good natured way. Like we all had a pretty good relationship growing up, um, but I definitely felt I was more in a position. It was more like a maternal role that I had because right. mum and dad had so many kids so quickly that I was the eldest child. Yeah. So I sort of like particularly with the younger ones, it was like I was a, almost like a babysitter in a way. It yeah. wasn't like a sibling relationship. Did you resent that a bit? Because I've just come out of a relationship where there was four kids in the picture. And yeah. actually, um, coincidentally, the eldest is Millie. Oh. And the three yeah. boys are all the same age. Yeah. They're not actually triplets. as twins and another one. Mm. Complicated, but they have two different mums and they were born right. very yeah. close together. But I kind of got the sense that Millie was like oh why should I have to look after like why should I have to fulfill that role of like carer or babysitter or yeah I mean I never questioned it at the time because it was just how it was it's like you're you're normal yeah um but I I think you know it's made me resilient very independent um competent because like you know at eight years old I was like changing nappies and you know, doing things that most eight-year-olds probably wouldn't do just because there were so many kids. And because Jack and Harry, when the, the baby twins were born, Jack and Harry were five, Sam was three, and then there was two newborns. So usually what would happen is I'd take a newborn, mum would take a newborn, and dad would take Sam. So, like, we'd each have a baby, if wow. you know what I mean. Yeah. So I'd usually be carrying around, like, a little baby with me, Aww. and we'd just sort of march behind mum and dad like little <laughs> ducks, all of us. Um, but... Yeah, and, like, you know, bath times, I remember we'd all, like, have baths together. Yeah. And it would be, like, a production line hair washing night. So, like, I'd be sitting at the front of the bath and the first brother would come in, wash their hair, get out. Next brother would come in, wash their hair, get out. Yeah. And like, literally just, like, Same a production line. Like, boom, boom, like, boom. in for five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And they'd be, like, screaming, like, ah, Jack, you got water in my eyes. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Let's yeah. go, next one, in, out, type yeah. of thing. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a lot of responsibility for sure. I think probably more than some kids would have. But, yeah, I think um, it was stressful at times, definitely. But, I mean, I can't complain. Mm. Um, I think there's a huge um, thing to be said for having siblings where you learn sharing, you learn respect, you learn differences in personality, you learn tolerance of, like, pushing boundaries. I I do worry for single kids. Obviously, you're mm. far removed from being a single child. You're one of six but I think it's so healthy to have siblings to learn all those life skills Mm. and yeah you can I I do a bit of coaching and I can tell when the kids are single kids yeah they're just an only child because they're usually not as dependent not as self-assured they don't do well with sharing they're attention seeking like not always but as a general you can really kind of tell Mm. yeah so I think um something like to add on to what you've just said having someone with disabilities in your family definitely Mm. fosters those sort of skills of tolerance acceptance um putting others needs before your own because tom he has quite um complex needs so he's a constant you have to monitor him watch him make sure he's like okay and he also has epilepsy so there was a stage there where he was having seizures um and so I was always a bit anxious because I just didn't know if he was in a swimming pool, like, would yeah. he have a seizure? So always keeping an eye on him um, was something that all of us sort of learnt yeah. to have to do when we were looking after him. Um, have any yeah. of your brothers, and this might be just a gen- sweeping generalisation, but you have that role of, like, the protective brother. 
Have any of your brothers tried to be the protective brother? Not maybe even consciously, because obviously you're older and the more mature, wise one. But yeah. you're still I don't female. think so. I think because no. I was so dominant. Yeah. Like, I was the boss, you know. <laughs> you're the protective um, older sister. Yeah, I think so. But everyone's very protective of Tom. Yes, um, All of us are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And in terms of... Um, we don't need to go into details, but raising six children is not is an expensive, you know, endeavour. Mm. So have your parents always been quite frugal? Have they always been quite clever with money? Have they always had enough where it's not had to be a concern? I've, I've mm. always wondered when you have huge families and you know that they're from a low socioeconomic yeah. area, like, how do they do it? Like, Yeah, no, totally. It's a, it's a huge expense, absolutely colossal, particularly, like, the food bill. Oh, my God. Oh. Boys, yeah. Boys and food, yeah. Um, but Hundreds. we're we're very lucky in that we're um, financially very privileged. Mm-hmm. So we've, I never, I couldn't couldn't tell you one time we've ever gone without in terms of food, shelter. Mm-hmm. But mum and dad are careful, obviously. Like, um, you know, just like any family, we we didn't eat out all the time. Like we, yeah. mum would cook every night. Those types of things. But like, even I think one thing that this reminds me of is in COVID when they were doing all the food restrictions, like, you know, it was two cartons of eggs per family or whatever. Were they? Yeah, was they were thing? like, there was a stack, because people were hoarding, like, food. Oh, they were and panic toilet buying. roll. Yeah, exactly. And I mum, didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, so what? they were banning people from taking, you know, like, more than two cartons of milk or whatever. And <gasps> mum, I remember mum getting it, she was like, this is simply not going to work for our family. I feel like a dickhead, but I, I have to take more than two things of eggs because yeah, eggs last half an hour in our house. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's true, like. Most families don't have five ravenous teenage boys that, that people need to cater for. Yeah. But, um, no, yeah, I think we're, we're really lucky. And on the same sort of topic, we're also lucky because I can't imagine how stressful it would be for families who have a disabled child and don't have the financial means to support that because <clears throat> especially if you've got ageing you know, aging parents and if a lot of disabled kids um, are born to parents who are a bit older mm-hmm. and might only have been able to have one child... And it's like, well, what happens when you stop, you retire and can't make an income? Who's going to support the child? So that's a really um, sad situation for a lot of families. And we're lucky in that mum and dad have set up things for when Tom gets older and they age and he's got so many siblings who always have somewhere to go. Yeah. But it is a really daunting prospect for a lot of families, I think, with disabled children. Yeah. My, I lost my best friend. She had three children, just a single mum and they all had a different dad, but the dads mm. or the fathers were never involved in the care, the upbringing of these these three kids. And she died of a heart attack at 32, just suddenly just dropped dead. I'd actually just come off the phone from her. Mm. And the law, this is in the UK, wanted to send each child to a separate foster home yeah. at the cost of around half a million pounds a year to put these kids into placement and to care. Whereas the granny, who'd never been a part of these kids' lives, stepped up and said, no, no, I'll take them. Mm. But she couldn't get funding. Yeah. And it's like, this is bonkers. Like, it would probably cost £75,000 to help that granny to be able to, like, keep these three children together Together. under her roof. And yet, whatever reason, this might be a nice segue into what you do, but the law was just set up to separate kids after a traumatic event like losing your mum. Thankfully, they went really public with it put it all over the news and um petitioned and they got the funding required and they actually only got um enough funding 
just like 50k just yeah. to kind of house them but yeah it's, it's a very imperfect scary. system yes. yeah yeah for sure yeah that is really scary and you can see how it can in certain circumstances protect the child or relatives that don't feel they have the capacity to take on a child with disability or certain needs but yeah it seems very flawed mm, um, definitely yeah it's it's awful and I'm obviously a mere amoeba in terms of my family law journey. Like I'm just starting out and I wouldn't want to give any advice or anything. But some of the things you do see, like some of the files are pretty horrendous, particularly the children's matters. And you just don't know like Mm -hmm. the story of somebody because a lot of these families, even the firm that I'm working at, we deal with a lot of um, parents from high socioeconomic areas so it's not even the low socioeconomic areas and these absolutely horrendous things are happening to these children that you just never would have couldn't even dream up Mm -hmm. um and it's yeah it is you can see why not everybody's cut out to do family law because it does it would take you it's toll on you so let's take a step back Mm. why did you choose law and then family law what made you think oh this is what i want to do okay well i think um Aussie. Hello. The cat's in some sort of weird trance. Um well both my parents are lawyers actually. Um my mum was a corporate lawyer before she had six kids and she went off and started a settlement agency business and my dad still uh practices he does corporate and commercial. So I think um I learned a little bit of the legal industry just by osmosis because mum and dad would talk about it and we'd like listen in as kids and um I just liked my favourite subjects at school were English and history. Mm-hmm. And so I think it just sort of was a natural progression for me. I definitely didn't have mum and dad persuade me into the industry. In fact, dad always used to say, like, oh, can you guys go off and do something useful? Like, can one of you become a pilot or something so we get <laughs> cheap tickets? Like, everyone just almost... Can we just, like, like use you? Yeah. For... Like, everyone always assumes. Because my two, um, Jack and Harry, who are the brothers underneath me, have also gone into law. Oh, so the three yeah. of us that have graduated are all doing yeah, you law. You start a family law firm, Oh, my oh gosh, actually. Penrose. That's probably that the worst idea known to man. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of our clients of family law. Oh, like, <laughs> family business has gone wrong. So, that, yeah, I don't... Don't know if that will happen, but um, yeah, so that's why I chose law in a nutshell. And family law, my um, double degree was in behavioral science, yeah. So I have an interest in psych, and I think oh, there's a crossover, yeah. There's a there's a lot of crossover because a lot of our clients come in with um, personality disorders or they're going through acute stress, it's mm. like one of the most stressful things to be in family law proceedings. So I think. Um, the site background will be beneficial for that. Um, but, yeah, that's the reason, really, that I decided to. Yeah, wow. And has it lived up to – I know you're only in the kind of first stages, but you've been in practices, haven't you? Mm. You've had to do placements yeah. and you've got how many years under your belt now? Yeah, so I've training? been working it as a paralegal for over a year. Okay. So not a super long time, but, um, yeah, I have that understanding of what it's like to work in a family law firm, Yeah. which is good. And – is it something that you think that is the right decision? I only ask this because my mum was a lawyer. She's now mm. retired and mm. my um, my ex-partner is a lawyer. And any lawyers I've spoken to are like, oh, my gosh, choose anything but yeah. family law. Like, yeah. stay away from family yeah, law because is, you're not yeah. paid much. It's yeah. stressful. There's no return. Like, it's very, yeah. like, 
unsatisfying. It's like that is the rap that family law gets. Yes. Essentially, um, have you had that experience? Obviously, the pay not so much. That will um, maybe improve, but well, yeah, I have because my dad. I actually got two job offers at the exact same time within the same week. One of them was um, at a commercial firm in a construction role, and one of them was this family law role. And obviously, I was sort of um, tossing up as to what to do. So I called my dad. I was like, Dad, like I've got these two offers. One's a family law offer. One's a construction offer. What do you think? And he literally said exactly that. He was like, oh, don't do family law. All your clients are miserable. You don't get paid. Your clients won't pay you. It's just hopeless. It's terrible. Um, Definitely take the construction role. And in my mind, I was thinking I actually wanted to take the family family law role because I'd done psych. And that's just where my skill set is. Like I like talking with people. I like de-escalating situations. I like you know, the why behind things. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I ended up calling my mum. I was like, oh, mum, I just got off the phone to dad. And um, he kind of d- discouraged me from going into the family law position. What do you think? And she goes, oh, don't listen to your dad. He's got the emotional capability of a rock. <laughs> and I was like, of course he's going to say that to you. You've both got completely different skill sets. And I was like, do you know what? She's right. I wouldn't like to do what my dad does. I wouldn't want to read over mining contract disputes all yep. day and the helicopter contracts and all this stuff. I'd hate that. Yeah, there's no emotion in it. No. And you definitely thrive on emotion, human connection, psychology. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. so I ended up taking the family law position and I love it. I I mean... I'd I, love to know your dad's response. I bet he just yeah, like his eyes. Yeah, he oh. actually called me back about 15 minutes later and goes, oh, hi, honey. Um, <laughs> Actually... I think it's a great idea to do family laws because mum had obviously gone back and oh, ripped, yeah. ripped him a new one and just said, yeah. don't say that. Like, oh, that's so good. But there's the classic man like mindset. Yeah. He, but he would hate it. My dad would hate to be a family lawyer because he wouldn't like to listen to people complaining about things, yeah. you know. Emotions. Yeah, he doesn't like emotions. So yeah. of course, And that's why, you know, like 90% of the industry is female or something like that. Oh, really? It's very yeah, highly... Wow. Gosh, highly female um, dominated industry family law yeah well and then you look at areas like corporate and it's probably more male you know yes yeah well my um ex i must stop calling her my ex um liz is um she's a corporate lawyer at yeah, Clay yeah. Leeds, oh yeah and yeah. has been asked to do the kind of the, be the international face for the company mm. And I was like, I hate to ask this, but is it probably because you're a woman, a female? And she's like, absolutely. Because it's so unusual to have a female who's a partner, who's sat on the board of a law firm, who's my age, that can, you know, be um, on show and represent of a firm because normally it's like crossy old men so mm. it's a real like fresh look yeah that's so interesting it's a good advantage yeah slash, that's true um, hope she, I don't think she feels like just put there to be used like she's genuinely yeah of course of course there. I think going back a little bit and this is just a little side nugget and a little um, offering of wisdom when you spoke to your dad and he said do corporate law I think it's really important to when you're struggling to make any kind of decision is notice your reaction mm. to the answer. So yeah. I've often done this any any circumstance in life and I'll write option A or option B. And if I pick option B, but I think, ah, oh, damn it, I wanted to pick option A. It doesn't matter that I've picked option B. It's how I react mm. to the decision that's being made or the outcome of turning the card over or picking option A and B. So... Mm. I do feel like a lot of people struggle to, especially when they're talking about big life decisions, careers, relationships, um, 
where, where to buy a house or whatever, we get stuck on how, what the right answer is and we forget to observe how we respond to the answer when it comes up. So like when you heard from your dad, instantly in your gut you were like, oh, damn, like, yeah. I didn't want that. Yeah. So we need to kind of take a step back when decision making, make sure that you observe how you respond to the decision that mm. is laid yeah. out in front of you. Yeah, um, and I'm so pleased I did listen to that because it was correct. Yeah. Like, my intuition was correct. Yeah, um, definitely. But no, I, I would agree with that, yeah. And I do feel that you strike me as someone that's got a very clear vision of what they wanted to do and how they wanted to go about it and you set a goal and then you achieve it. I do know that for a lot of people and probably people listening that there's real issues with not knowing what to do in life mm. not knowing how to like when I was at school didn't have a scooby-doo I wanted to do in my mm. life and I'm still probably only now in the last maybe two years I'm like oh my god I know what I want to do mm. and I can now use all my life experience to lead me to making sure that what I want as an outcome will happen mm. I have a, a lot of trust in yeah knowing that that's where I want to take it so in terms of your legal career have you got a set kind of goals that you want to tick off and an, an end point or are you just diving in and seeing where it takes you oh I definitely don't have um any set goals I just want to follow the path and see what happens yeah um I think there's lots of factors that come into that as well like children for example yeah I don't know you know I might have to go down to part-time if I want to have kids and I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that's like I want to be a supreme court judge or I want to be a yeah. you know I think I'll just see and what happens and do my best and hopefully it will all work out. That's a very refreshing approach because obviously there's a spectrum and a scale but some people are so fixated on getting to the top or striving for this goal that they forget about living life mm. and especially in, in law, I'm sure you've witnessed this, that people become so fixated in their job and their career that mm. everything else sort of falls by the wayside and yeah. I love that you... I mean, it's one small thing, but you play tennis and that you've come to chat to me, to a podcast and you've got your family and it seems like you've got other interests outside mm. of just losing yourself in a job. Yeah. I mean, I might get into it. I might get stuck in and that might be exactly what I want to do. I might want to go off and become a judge or start yeah. my own firm one day. I have no idea, but I just think oh, that's that's just stuff. I can't really answer that question at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, but um, I think as well, coming from a family where mum stopped her career completely, I do know that that's not what I want to do. Mm. I want to keep working even when I have children in, in some capacity. Yeah. I can't say if I want to do full-time because sometimes that's not tenable, particularly if you have a partner who's also a professional. Um, but mum and dad, obviously, I think when they had me, they were um, faced with the decision of, well, we've got one party who's trying to make partner which was my dad and then yeah. my mum who was also a very good corporate lawyer but you can't have six children and have two full-time lawyers and raise your own children like you yeah. can sort of but you'd either have to get nannies in to, to do that and so I think mum made the difficult decision of being like well I'll stop working and look after the six kids mind you if you had a more sensible number of children you probably could do that like yes. two kids or something like that and yeah. um, but I think we're I'm lucky in that I think there's so many more options available now there's um better options for men in terms of paternity leave and um work from working from home options and all sorts of things which will make it possible for me to keep working to um as much as I'd really like to if I yeah. do want to have kids oh it's definitely 
getting better in terms yeah. of equality and yeah, just yeah. Even with my mum, like she absolutely had to quit work because mm. it was just not seen as something. It wasn't even a consideration. Yeah, we've had yeah. three children, so what do you mean you want to come back to work? Like, yeah, she then became a locum, and so she just did it when it suited her. But she couldn't give it up completely because she yeah. had lost her mind. She's, exactly. Yeah, you know, needs to keep using her brain and yeah but you did hit on a point there as well and I kind of chuckled that um there is and this is the other extreme I think this belief that you can do it all mm. like you can literally do it all just because I'm a partner of a law firm doesn't mean that I can't also be a stay-at-home mom doesn't mean I also can't do this did it mm. unfortunately and this is a phrase I have said to people in my life quite recently, but you can't do it all. Yeah. Like you have to admit that you, you know, you're gonna yeah. have to sacrifice. You're gonna have to forego some things. You're yeah. gonna have to make room and yeah, choose. And I think everyone just does their best, and there's no judgment either way. Yeah. Like I remember, um, oh, Aussie. Uh, um, I have like a couple of friends that have said things like, you know, oh, I can't believe, you know, women stop working and just have children and they've got these law degrees. And I'm like, well, maybe that's just the best decision that they had to make for their family at the time. Like, yeah. I think everyone just does what works best for them. And maybe that's their preference. Yeah. You know, there's absolutely beauty in being able to bring up your yeah. child and, you know, rear them and yeah. teach them everything those first few years of their life. I think that's extraordinary. Yeah. So, I think there does need to be just generally less judgment. Like, I agree. stop trying to compare yourself, judge. Yeah. And like, my mum will will still allude to, oh, you're getting on a bit, love, and you know. <laughs> and even my dad, I bought a house a few years ago because that was dad's dream for me. I didn't really want to buy yeah. a house, but I, to him, he's a, a retired estate agent. That was his yeah. level of success as an adult, and. Mm you know, getting on, come on, get your house. And I was like, oh, God, okay, just to shut him up. Because, yeah. Um, and yeah. even in along the same sort of wavelength, when I was on my gap here, because um, I went to England for a year and worked as a sports coach in a school um, in Ascot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Weren't you with the Royals or Yeah. Something? Well, the school is it's actually called Berkshire, but it's close to oh, Berkshire, yeah. darling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's how you say it. <laughs> Um, I played lacrosse at Berkshire. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Well, yeah, it's the school that um, Kate and William's kids are at now. But it was very posh, obviously. Mm, I posh, yeah. Yeah, I was working also. So in the day I would work as a sports coach and then at night I was like the boarding house lady. Mistress. Uh, mistress. mistress, yeah, exactly. Um, sounds so <laughs> weird saying mistress. I, never, I yeah. still say headmistress or yeah. headmaster here and people snigger. Like, yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> but that's just what it was. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was a boarding house mistress and the boarding would start there in year three. So they were babies, like oh, little seven-year-olds, yeah. yeah. you know. And oh, a lot of the parents were obviously high-income earners, professionals. But I just felt so bad for these little kids. We used to call them Mr. and Mrs. Dump It and Run because they'd literally just dump their child with Miss Penrose, who got paid minimum wage. And I was, like, raising these little kids for the year. And I was like, I'm not You're actually perfect role. Lucky they had Miss Penrose and not someone else. But, like, they'd come to me and they'd, like, be crying or whatever. And, and like, you know... There are little seven-year-olds crying and I'd have to sit there and, like, plait their hair. I loved it. But I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, this should be You'll your mum. This should be your mum doing yeah. this, not me. But I just felt so bad for these little kids because they came from the, you know, the most 
privileged economic situations, but their parents were just absent, like yeah. literally. Or mum, even if they weren't working, mum would be at Milan Fashion Week or something like that yeah. every second week. Yeah. And it's like these little kids, they just crave their attention from their mum and dad. And obviously when mum and dad aren't there, it was the there was another beautiful girl called Nat who I'm still in touch with, but she was South African and we both came over to do the same job. So it was just Miss Penrose and Miss Hole looking after these little kids. And I just thought take the pay cut and look after your children. Like, yeah. take the pay cut and do it because I'm only here for a year and they got so attached to us. Yeah. And the day that we left, it was like they were all in hysterics. Yeah, because, like ripped from the yeah, one person. That, we so were like the... Got abandonment issues at home and yeah. then they get abandoned. Like, it's not your fault, but they would assume that you have abandoned them because yeah. they're too young to understand the situation. And then they oh. have another gap student coming the next year and... and oh, they're all going to grow up with attachment yeah. issues. Yeah. Which Definitely. is probably what makes them then turn into the kind of parents that can't attach to their children mm. because they also had that kind of upbringing. Oh, yeah, where it's totally cultural. Yeah, yeah, the parents would have had the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just very different because we don't have that here. We don't start boarding until year eight and even – oh, sorry, year seven. Yeah. Um, but even then I still think, oh, those little year sevens, I used to feel so sad for the boarders. Yeah. And year seven I'd be like, oh, I miss my family it so much. It is so interesting. I've – made quite a lot of comparisons with the school system here and the school system there and parenting here mm. in Australia versus England. And I actually did, did a talk last week with WAM, which is Peak Body for Mental Health, and it was all lived experience speakers. Mm. And of the 10 that I heard, five, they contributed their lived experience mental health issues with schooling in England. Interesting. One of them, the ladies, was at a boarding school at the age of five, yeah. And I probably would put a lot of my issues in my in my youth down to my schooling. Interesting. And even I was talking to a friend today about going and watching the kids do sports. I was thinking, oh my god, you you're a professional, you go out and you keep taking time off work to go and watch your children play sport. I cannot think of a single time my parents would take time out of their work day to come and watch me play sport. It's just not a part of the culture. Whereas here, it's kind of expected. And I said, oh, how many people were there? Apparently thousands. There was a couple of thousands at a swimming carnival. I'm like, what? Why are these parents doing this? I have my parents, both sets of grandparents, like every every time. Yeah. It was, and it was so lovely. It's so lovely. And even this weekend, I was down south playing lacrosse. And I'm an adult, obviously, mm. in my mid-30s. My friends are the same age. And their parents were there. Yeah. I was thinking, this is beautiful. It's so nice. So yeah. there's, maybe there is just a completely different vibe of an expectation of parenting. There must be in England. Versus probably also, if we look at, like, Indian parents would mm. uh, raise their children. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. yeah. But mind you, though, in school, all of the kids that came from England would just absolutely annihilate the rest of us academically. Like, they were... <laughs> Yeah, because even when I was there, they did Saturday school every week. So the kids were at Saturday school. Yes, I would and go to school on a Saturday yeah. morning, but only to play sport because I wasn't clever enough. I'm oh. sure some of the kids yeah, did they academic do stuff. academic stuff. And they also finish school at five o'clock. Yes, so I finished get, at quarter two five. And we finish at quarter past three. Yeah, that blew my mind because so, I've done sports yeah. coaching as well. We'd mm. start at eight um, on the dot or 8.15. Um, and then finish at uh, quarter to five. Mm. Yeah. So that's, if you add that up, a Saturday school plus the two, two hours of school extra a day, that's like adding a day and a half of school every yeah. week onto, so they've been at school, I don't know, mm. two years longer than the but rest of them. psychologically, maybe not as happy. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> maybe craving exactly. a little love and attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really but, clever, but really messed yeah. up in the head. Yeah. I know, but 
that was an amazing experience. Yes, t- talk to me more about that. If you're allowed to, I don't know if you've oh, yeah. signed any. Oh, no, no, we can. Um, so did you have any royals under your care or any? We didn't have royals when I was okay. there, but we had um, Vladimir Putin's godchildren and they used to have security that would come on fixtures with us. So if we had a um, netball fixture, we'd have a security guard with us. Um, we had we had Jeremy Kyle's kids. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so Jeremy used to, like, come into How breakfast. How ironic. Yeah. Were they boarders? Um, they, yeah, they used to come to the boarding house, but um, they were really great kids, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, gorgeous yeah. kids. You'd hope so. Yeah. You'd hope that they, you know, yeah. worked through their issues. Um, and we had all the football players' kids. and Yeah. But it was just this, a whole different world. Oh, so different. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went to a private school in Perth and um, that's for a lot of people considered like very posh. You know, we wore the silly uniforms and the hats and the socks and the ties and for a lot of people they're like, oh, God, that's like a bit much. But this was like to the next level. level. Well, we had regulation woolly blue knickers and we had to prove that we were wearing our woolly blue knickers. Like Bendo, they're like, okay, girls, line up, knicker check. Yeah. Come on, Bendo, and you're like, now I'm an adult. Like that's so messed up. Not right. Yeah. So not right. Mm. But um, I think there are obviously benefits, negatives, but there's definitely defining differences between children that have issues from very privileged schools, predominantly craving love and attention, versus those that have difficulties when they're from low socioeconomic schools, oh, where there's definitely. just unrest, drama, trauma. Yeah. Um, Probably just more craving stability rather than yeah. attention, but yeah, there's um there's a long way to go in the education system. Yeah, um, and I'm I actually asked a teacher because I'm trying to get into schools to deliver mental health life skills, essentially like goal setting, resilience, gratitude, um, kindness, all these different things that you don't really get taught, mm. but you just sort of learn along the way in life. Some people don't learn them, some people learn them really well. And I asked my friend who's a teacher, she works in um, regional education. She's responsible for all of the schools in the Kimberley region and around there. And I said, why wouldn't something like life skills be on the curriculum? Mm. And her response was that we expect, the education system expect parents to do that. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, e- yeah, but they don't. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it will become a hybrid of both working yes. together. Yeah. yeah, hopefully it will. I'm going to try and... That's that awesome, happen, though. That's really important. That's yeah. a really good thing that you're doing. And I'm assuming as well that unrest in school just amplifies issues at home, which just, like, makes everything ten times worse. Like, if you're in one safe environment and most kids spend more time at school than they do at home mm. throughout their school years, then if, if the school is a really great, awesome place, the struggles and the pressures and the stresses at home won't have so much impact. Yeah. But it's that double whammy of, like, there's nowhere for kids to go if school's shit and home life is shit. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more. I know you can't specifically talk on cases, but mm. is there a generic area within family law that you think is scarily common or that has stood out as, like, whoa, I didn't realise this was such a prevalent issue or... Anything Ooh. that makes it all... That's a good question. Well, what's scarily common is obviously divorce. Mm. That's scarily common. And I was talking to my boss and she was saying... More common than not, isn't it? Uh, like when I, you take a I marriage... I don't know more... if that's... I think that's actually... I, I was doing a bit of um, research on it. The, the divorce rates have actually been going down in recent years. Is that because less some... people are 
getting married. Potentially, that could or be a factor. Percentage. Um, but yeah, I don't know the exact figures of percentages, but I do know. Millie, that... I got you on this podcast for facts, and you're just. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Team, I'm just bullshitting your way through. No, I'm um, but yeah, it is common, and my boss was saying to me, she was like, "It's actually a very good time to get into family law because there will be a tsunami oh of gosh. divorces coming." Um, but why? What? Why did your boss say that? Do you think? Oh, I just. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the main reasons that I think people get divorced is infidelity and financial strain. Um, but obviously, there's so many factors. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of contributing factors as to why divorce is increasing, particularly, I mean, one that stands out to me would be that women now have more rights, so they can divorce. Yes, they feel empowered. Yeah. We feel more empowered to just go it alone. Or... And women are having more affairs, like, statistically than men are. Uh, sorry, not more than men, but, like, more than they used to. Yes. Obviously. Um, Maybe that's something to do with, um, we obviously can't quantify this but or prove this, but that there's online dating and there's apps and so it's so much more readily available mm. to see what's out there or yeah. you know test the waters or see the grass is greener like I'm imagining for my grandma she was brought up in like a little village no internet mm. like you don't have the option just to sit down at dinner and swipe through tinder yeah like, definitely wouldn't even cross her mind she was miserable in her marriage yeah like, if she was alive today and in her 50s at this time she would have divorced from my grandpa yeah. hands down no doubt but that just wasn't a thing was it so, yeah no yeah. it is um obviously I mean everyone knows people who are divorced I, I would say probably half of my parents friends are divorced yeah. I do find it figure. more surprising now when parents are still together when they're my parents age like my friend's parents mm. I find it really wholesome and lovely to hear that but yeah it, seems quite uncommon to me yeah well I'm lucky in that mum and dad um have given us a very good example of a happy marriage which I never really I used to get annoyed as like a little kid because I'd feel like they'd always go on holidays without us and things and they'd get babysitters in and I'd be like oh mum and dad always like do things on their own without us and now I'm so grateful because I understand that that's what was keeping them happy and yeah um keeping the marriage strong and it's been nice for us to understand what a healthy relationship is so I do feel grateful now you've just literally hit on a really important point and I hope that most people have got to this point 40 minutes in that you cannot abandon a relationship when kids come along and Mm. I have no doubt that children are a huge contributor to to people separating not because of the kids Mm. but because people neglect the relationship you have to keep investing in a relationship and a connection for it to continue yeah and that's music to my ears that your parents did that because Mm. I bet there's loads of parents out there who actually one of my friends I met their little one who's nine months old and I love little ones and I was like oh my god let me babysit anytime Mm. and he said oh no she won't we can't even let um the, the, the grandparents have the little one for the night because she's too like possessive or whatever and I said well how does that make you feel like that means you haven't been on a date mm. with your wife for nine months yeah yeah or more than nine months because she was pregnant for you know before that and he's like yeah wow. shit yeah I miss my relationship I miss wow. my wife I miss my partner because mm. and it's broke my heart and I'm worried for them because it immediately think oh well that's gonna tether the connection and it's going to become weak and then Mm. you know they're going to break up because she's not honoring the relationship or investing in that yeah no I I think that's probably quite a common reason people do end up separating it sounds so obvious connection yeah but even saying it now I'm sure there's people that are like 
oh yeah, when's the last time I had a date night with my partner? Mm. Yeah, since true. the kids were born twenty years ago, like I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, mum and dad always were the type of parents that like the kids definitely didn't dictate the, um, like we didn't rule the roost. There was like a clear mum and dad are in charge, and you not like old fashioned, but there was that sort of you know don't talk back to parents like yeah they operate respect yeah and parents like, deserve to they definitely operate dad us. in particular ran a very tight ship at home like we all knew what we had to do like as soon as we finished dinner we'd all get up and everyone would be cleaning and people would come over and be like really shocked and be like wow your kids are like really good and dad's like you know they should that's what they should be doing yes. and it not like a military camp but sort of <laughs> like yeah. we all we all did our bit but you have to do that if you've got a humongous family that's the yeah. only it's the only way you can cope is if everybody does their bit and everybody helps out. I find it very shocking and a bit disturbing when parents, mostly probably mums, do everything for their kids because I'm like, well, how are you gifting with them with the opportunity to learn how to do basic tasks like clean and cook yeah. and take responsibility and be independent and yeah. show respect and, and like I don't I don't know how that works in yeah. the long run. I mean, yeah, I. I know exactly what you're talking about because I know people who I think the mums sometimes feel like they're they're doing it out of love. Yes. You know, they're doing it from the best intentions, but it's like, oh, my God, you're literally making the most hopeless child. Like, they're just inept at life. Like, you know, I met someone who was 24 and had never changed their bed sheets before and they just moved out of home and they were talking about, oh, it's so annoying, I have to change my own bed sheets. It takes me like an hour and a half. What? Like, what do you mean? What but obviously it's like if you don't do that growing up, it probably yeah. would take you. You'd probably be a bit bamboozled about how it all works, yeah. like turning on the dishwasher, like all those sort of things. It's like yeah. we've just taken for granted and learnt by osmosis from when you're little. Yeah. If your mum's always doing it for you, it would be very stressful. Like yeah. moving out would actually be terrifying. And I this reckon. is where I think, and this, this harps to a whole other topic that we won't get into in detail, but when people then just become connected to someone because they fulfill that role of like carer and they become into a dependent relationship and it's like I'm not going to pick on men but let's say (laughs) a man moves out and mum's done everything for him and then he's like oh I don't know how to cook and clean and wash and all that so I'm just going to get a girlfriend to do all that for me and then they're in a relationship for the wrong reasons yeah then that girl just repeats that horrible gender stereotype of looking after the man so we're talking about dependency on parents or partners and presumably, you're, you, well, you've already said, your parents did an amazing job with each of you individually to kind of equip you for life and to make you independent adults and successful. The three of you being lawyers and I don't know what your other brothers do, but how do you think your parents, is it just that they treated you as individuals? They expected certain um, roles to be fulfilled they expected certain jobs to be done around the house but aside from that they just saw you each as individuals and let you just spread your wings and flourish in your own unique ways um yeah I suppose so I think mum and dad were always very um accepting of the fact that you know we are all different so mm-hmm. um for example my the fourth brother Sam so Jack and Harry as I mentioned have gone off to do law Sam decided that he doesn't want to do ATAR this um, in year 12 and he wants to do PT and he's very very into his fitness and his health and that's something that he really loves and is passionate about and mum and dad like when he told them were like yeah that's a great idea Sam like fantastic we'll support you we'll take you to your PT things because it's like in between school hours and stuff like that and um, 
so he's gone off and I think he's had a really positive experience but I know that not everybody's as fortunate as that and their parents might have wanted them to go off to uni or do things that Mm. they're probably not it's not within their skill set so much um I think at the end of the day genuinely parents want their children to be happy yeah and I do have an ex who's Sri Lankan and Mm. I know that this was a really challenging time for her parents partly because she was gay and that's not okay in the Sri Lankan culture Mm. as a general but also she didn't want to do the accounting law medicine option and it was really challenging to yeah. have that conversation. It took them a couple of years, but now she's doing what she loves. She's going, she's gone back to uni and retrained. And I think out of all of that, and I obviously, I felt like I wasted my education because I went to an all girls private mm. really posh school. And then I ended up being an artist mm. and an art therapist. And I had this conversation with mum and she said, sweetheart, every parent, all they want is for their child to be happy. Yeah. And that if, if there's other expectations, it's usually a cultural pressure or a family pressure mm. or a heritage, but like whatever. But yeah. really, you, your parents will come round. If they can see that you're happy doing what you're doing, you've just got to stick to your yeah your authentic self. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. Um, and I think as well, having a child with disabilities, mum and dad don't really sweat the small things. Like yes. there's bigger challenges. And like I think that... It, something you learn when you've got somebody with quite extreme challenges in their life is like some things just aren't important yeah and like puts everything putting, in perspective. yeah it really does yeah um and yeah no they've 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 been good that's we're awesome been, that was a li- that as you said that reminded me of when I came out to my mum she's like oh sweetheart like that matters yeah because I literally nearly died yeah a few years before so what if I want to date women or men yeah exactly in the whole grand scheme of everything else it doesn't matter yeah and that's I think a lovely place to end is just don't sweat the small stuff Mm. and do what makes you happy yeah I agree Brilliant. Thank you so, so much. Um, You're incredible. Fascinating. I knew this conversation would be super interesting. Oh, Um, thanks for having me. I'm just really grateful. Cheers. Bye.